going to be talking about tradition in just a couple of minutes, but before that, I want to tell you a story. Uh, when I was about seven, uh, my mom and I, along with some of her friends, we went to be part of the audience on Let's Make a Deal. Are you guys familiar with that game show, Let's Make a Deal? If you don't know, it is a game show. It actually started in the early 60s. It's been going... It's now hosted by Wayne Brady, and it is known for their audience members dressing in costume. And, you know, the, the wilder the better, because if you dress crazy, then you have a better chance of getting picked. And so my mom and her friends decided that we were going to be the Sheet Sisters. What are the Sheet Sisters, you ask? Thank you for asking. Well, imagine you take a sheet and you cut a hole in the middle and you put it over your head so that it covers your body and then you adorn your head with different costume type things and you hold some props. Now, um, we weren't really sheets. Uh, we were a play on words for a different SH word that I'm not gonna say out loud right now. Uh, but for example, one of my mom's friends was chicken sheet. So she had the, the, the sheet on and then she had a beak and some feathers and then she carried an egg carton. Like you get, you get what I'm saying there. There was also um, dumb sheet. Uh, there was holy sheet, uh, bull sheet, obviously. <laughs> and then little sheet, that was me. I was little sheet because I was the only kid. Which by the way, this whole reference totally went over my head. I did not understand it. As a first grader, my, my vocabulary for swearing had not reached the repertoire that it is today. And so I didn't really understand that. I was just like, oh, this is funny, whatever. Well, okay, the other reference that I didn't, the other thing I didn't understand is like what the whole game show was even about. But apparently, if you're a contestant, you might win something, and then you get a chance to possibly trade that thing for something that you hope is better. The problem is you don't really know what you're trading for because the item is behind a closed door. So you kind of have to take your chances. Will it be door number one, door number two, or door number three? And maybe behind one of them is a seven-day cruise to Spain, and behind the other is a brand-new pair of socks right? You don't know what you're going to get. One of them maybe is a uh, brand new car. One of them is a giant panda suit. Who knows? One of them might be a brand new living room set, whereas another one is a bucket of Skittles. Uh, you never know what you're going to get behind the door until that door opens. And that's the thing about doors, much like on Let's Make a Deal, is you don't know what's behind them until they're open. You don't know what you're missing out on until you can get past the closed door, right? So take for example, say that you're a kid trick-or-treating and you knock on your door and you say trick-or-treat and they open the door. You don't know if you're going to get a full-size Snickers or a box of raisins, right? You don't know. Or say you go to your neighbor's house, knock on the door because you accidentally got some of their mail. They open the door. You don't know if they're going to just barely open it reach their hand out, grab it, mutter thanks, or if they're going to open it all the way and say, yeah, come on in. What you do know is what you get with an open door is way more than when you get when it's closed, right? And that is true 
of doors, both actual doors and metaphorical doors in our life. When you have something in your life that is kind of closed to you, you know that you don't get that potential or that opportunity, whatever's behind that door, until you open it. But if you can find a way to open it, then a whole new world opens up to you. You open the door, you can go behind the door, you can be inside of that opportunity, that potential, whatever it is, and now you are an insider. Now, this could be a relational door, it could be a door that's just about an opportunity, it could be an education door, but when it is closed, you're stuck. You feel stuck, you feel limited, you want more, but when it's open, a whole new world opens up. You have a broader experience because now you are an insider. Well, this door today, this door we have up here is going to represent, oh, look how easy it opens, you guys, see? Such a good metaphor. Uh, this door here is gonna represent ancient Jewish culture. Ancient Jewish culture. This is the culture that Jesus lived in the first century. And so when he taught, when he talked to his audience, they understood Jewish culture. So when he would give references or use imagery or phrases that were part of a Jewish context or referencing Jewish history, they understood this door was open. They were insiders. But of course, for us today, we don't always understand those references. So a lot of times what happens is we miss it. So my job today is to help open this door for you so that we can look at some words of Jesus and really understand how do they fully manifest themselves in our lives. And in fact, that's what this whole series is going to be. We're going to be opening this door of understanding of Jewish cultural context so that we all can go inside together, so that we all can be insiders. And specifically today... I think that as we open this door and get behind this door, I think that it has something very unique to each one of us. I think this morning is going to have something specific that you need. And it has a lot to do with, or at least it kind of starts at this place of thinking about forgiveness and apologizing. And I want you to hear a song, but before we listen to that, I want, I want to ask you a question, and I want to ask you to be thinking about how you would answer this question as you listen. The question is, what is the statute of limitations on apologizing? When you think about accepting or, or giving an apology, is there a window of time where it's just too late? Sorry, didn't think I'd turn around 
So there's this real clear sentiment in that song. It says, the window of saying sorry has closed. The option of forgiveness is no longer an option. And I wonder if this morning that many of us feel like maybe that's true with the things that we've done wrong. Even if we've gotten to a place where we feel regret that it might just be too late to be forgiven. Maybe something that you've said to somebody that you love very deeply has caused quite a bit of hurt and your fear is that they have had enough and that it's too late, they're done with you. Maybe there's some of you here who who regret that you weren't more there for your kids and maybe they're grown now and you feel like the damage is done and it just feels like too little, too late, you know. Maybe you've had a secret for a long time and now that secret is has come out and you know that it has the potential to ruin a relationship and it just feels like being forgiven is totally out of reach and maybe for some of you it, it might even feel like it's it's too late to be forgiven by God you know maybe somebody has led you to believe that that you have committed some sort of unforgivable sin or or maybe just the, the guilt and the shame just makes you think that you can't be forgiven and whatever whatever the circumstance is i want to ask you is there a, a place in your life where you feel like forgiveness is out of reach and as we kind of go through this door together today my hope is that what you will find is on the inside, there is an opening to God's forgiveness that you may have come in here today thinking was closed. So we've got this door here. Remember, it's a door of trying to understand ancient Jewish cultural context. And our first step through this door is going to take us to some words that Jesus said that are recorded in Matthew 18. So we're going to put that up here on the screen. Matthew 18, verse 21. It's a short little conversation. It says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And that's it. It's this short little back and forth between Peter and Jesus in front of whoever it is that Jesus was teaching to. Now, some translations, instead of saying 77, they say 70 times 7. Now, either way, that's not really the point. Uh, it doesn't really matter if it's 77 times or 490. That's not what Jesus is saying here, and it is certainly not what his first century Jewish listeners would have grabbed onto and paid attention to. It doesn't matter, 77, 490. In these two short verses, what's happening is both Peter and Jesus are making references to things that, that we probably miss. There are these historic Jewish references that are on the other side of this door here. And while the first century listeners caught it, we often don't. But here's the problem. When you miss the full understanding of the reference, you can bet that we are going to also miss the truest and deepest meaning and application that Jesus has for us today. Because remember, he was talking to that audience, so we have to kind of get in their heads. 
Now, Peter's reference is pretty simple. He suggests that seven times might be the right amount of time. Now, the number seven in Jewish tradition was usually known as something that was a number of completion. And that might be something that some of you already knew. Seven often referred to, to be something being full or something even being perfect. So Peter is kind of latching on to this number that has a really positive connotation in Judaism. Okay, then we get to Jesus' response, and he says, no, not just seven, but what number does he say? Seventy-seven. Ten times seven. Now, maybe it kind of just sounds like Jesus is exaggerating to get his point across about how important forgiveness is. And he is saying that forgiveness is important, but it's not like how we do that. You know, he's not just saying it's 10 times that, like we would say, I could have eaten 10 times that many tacos at Taco Tuesday, or their backyard is 10 times bigger than ours. It's not like that. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is actually making a really specific reference that's often lost on us, but that would have easily been caught by his audience because they know about a guy named Lamech. Can you say Lamech with me? One, two, three. Lamech, there we go. Lamech is a guy in their history. He appears in the Genesis story. It's way early on in their history. And here's what you need to know about Lamech. He is not great. He is arrogant. He has a lot of anger issues. He's very vengeful. So we meet Lamech in Genesis 4, and he's talking to his wives in song, as one does. And it starts in verse 23, and Lamech says, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my voice. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. All right, so in short, what's happening here is Lamech is declaring that he has a short temper, that it does not take much for somebody to be on his bad list. Lamech is saying, if anyone comes against me one time, I'm going to pay them back 77 times. If you do one wrong to Lamech, you better expect back 77 times payment. Now, here's a little fun fact. The only time in the whole Old Testament that we ever hear that phrase 77 times is right here when Lamech says it. So when Jesus references not seven times, but 77 times, it's actually a very clear reference way back to Lamech. And everyone there would have known it. They would have been like, oh, Lamech, that guy, he is the worst. He's so arrogant. He's got anger issues. He refers to himself in the third person. Nobody likes that. They would have immediately, like as soon as the word 77 came out of Jesus' lips, everyone there would have understood and remembered Lamech, that guy who never forgave, but instead declared that anybody who offends him even once can expect 77 times payback. Now, I love learning this stuff about Jesus. And here's the truth. Even when we don't fully get the reference, it's still important. It's still meaningful. We still understand that he is saying, forgiveness is what I'm asking of you again and again and again. But when we can open the door just a little, 
and walk through that door of Jewish cultural understanding, we get such a clearer picture of what he's saying. He's saying that if you are going to be a follower of me, then your forgiveness needs to be abundant. To the extent that Lamech was vengeful, you need to be forgiving. If Lamech is the worst example of holding a grudge, you followers, you people trying to apply my teaching, you need to be the best example of how to let offenses go. If Lamech is full of entitlement, I want you to be full of graciousness. All of that gets communicated just by saying 77 times. And what Jesus is talking about here is having the grace to forgive people. Now, I know some of you here this morning, you hear that word forgive, and you think about forgiveness, and you think about what comes to mind for you, and it just kind of gets stuck in your throat, right? You think about how you've been hurt or wronged in some way, maybe by the same person that you've already forgiven 76 times, you know? Well, I, I want to read something to you from the book of Romans. And, and as I do, I want you to be thinking about what will it take for you to offer forgiveness. About 25 years after Jesus and Peter have this little conversation, uh, Paul wrote the book of Romans. And, and the book of Romans really gets at the heart of grace and what grace means in our lives. And this is what he writes in chapter 5, verse 21. Sin ruled and brought death, but grace rules in the lives of those who are right with God. The grace that God brings is eternal life, and that's because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. Now, I want to look at that phrase that says, but grace ruled and rules in the lives of those who are right with God. I'm going to say it again, and then I want you to say it. Grace rules in the lives of those who are right with God. Let's say it. Grace rules in the lives of those who are right with God. Now, that phrase, right with God, it simply means made right through Jesus it says, if we have received grace ourselves, then grace should rule our lives. So if you're someone who is struggling to forgive, could it be that you are not letting grace have its full power in your life? If you have received God's grace, one of the fruits of that is being able to forgive others. Uh, Lisa is a friend of mine who is also on our Lead Bold board, and uh, she works at Three Crosses as their women's director, but she also has a regular full-time job at like a high-end design company. And, and she was telling me the other day that about six months ago, her company was on this big like webinar, Zoom call kind of thing where it was like 800 people all over the world. And what they were doing is they were doing a series of trainings that was all about um, how important a diverse work culture was. And the moderator was making the point that it's easy to feel underappreciated when you're different. And to that, my friend Lisa, who happens to be a black woman in a predominantly white setting, she just added a little comment in the chat. And this is what she wrote. Sometimes your difference stands out and you don't have a choice. And I just have to give people a lot of grace. Okay, so then she goes on. She sends it and goes on. Well, a few minutes later, the moderator stops talking and says, ah, uh, 
Liza, her name is spelled with a Z, so it gets mispronounced all the time. He, go, he goes, uh, Liza Landrum, would you come off mute and tell us more about the word grace that you put in the comment? And she's like, oh, so much for being anonymous. Okay, so she unmutes and she, she comes off of mute and she says, well, I'm a person of faith and I have been given unlimited grace and therefore I have to give people a lot of grace. Goes back to mute. Simple, honest. And then right after that, the chat starts flooding with all these references about grace and using the word grace. And get this, in the months, remember I told you it was six months ago, in the months since that meeting, she's been hearing this language of grace in her workplace. People are saying it, oh, let's, let's just have some grace about that. She's seeing it in emails, like, let's all just have grace with each other. And just two weeks ago, a company-wide, remember I said it's a big company, company-wide e-blast goes out with this phrase, we just have to remember that we have to give people a lot of grace all because of that one little sentence that she typed in the chat. But for Lisa, it wasn't empty words, right? This is a very real truth in her life. As one who has received God's grace, she is empowered. She chooses to give grace to other people. Are you somebody who can give grace to other people because you have first received unlimited grace for yourself? And if so, what does that mean when it comes to forgiving people? Do you maybe need a specific measure of God's grace this morning to be able to forgive? Well, we're opening this door to a better understanding of Jewish culture and context. And when we get inside that door, we open it a little bit, we get inside. You know what we find ourselves smack in the middle of is grace. And one of the implications of that grace, one of the ways that it rules in our lives, as we read in Romans, is the ability to forgive others. But of course, that can be really hard to do. It's not that we don't want to do it. It's not that we don't want to live the way that Jesus is calling to. It's just that forgiveness is really, really hard sometimes. Well, we're going to go back to the story of Lamech. And I want you to keep thinking as we do about what it will take for you to forgive. And what we're gonna see is that while Jesus was talking about giving forgiveness, he is also saying quite a lot about receiving forgiveness. So let's go back to Lamech with that in mind. We're back in Genesis 4, verse 23. And in his song, Lamech refers to Cain. He says, if Cain was avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So in Jesus's callback to Lamech, Lamech is making a callback to Cain. It's like that movie Inception, but instead of dreams, it's a reference within a reference within a reference. All right, you tracking with me? All right, we are way inside the door now. Okay, now listen, here's a little bit of backstory. Cain was Adam and Eve's first son, and he was infamously known as being the first murderer. He killed his brother Abel. And God holds Cain accountable. Listen to these verses also in Genesis 4. Cain said to the Lord, you are punishing me more than I can take. Today you are driving me away from the land. I will be hidden from you. I'll be a restless person who wanders around on the earth. Anyone who finds me will kill me. 
See, Cain is realizing the damage that he's done, not just to his brother, but even to himself. And here we just hear the fear. You know, he's afraid. He's afraid, and he knows that there's no hope. But listen to how God replies. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, no, anyone who kills you will be paid back seven times. The Lord put a mark on Cain, and then anyone who found him wouldn't kill him. So even in the most egregious sin, we see God showing mercy, offering grace to Cain. He puts some kind of mark on him that is a warning of protection for anybody that might try to hurt him. Even in Cain's rebellion and evil choices, God shows mercy. All right, I want you to hold that for a minute, and we're going to see where Cain goes from here. See, Cain finds a wife, and he has a son. And then that son has a son, and then that son has a son, and then that son has a son, and then that son has a son. And you know who that is? It's Lamech! It's Lamech! Did you see it coming? All right, so Lamech, what he's really saying is if my great, great, great grandpa Cain avenged seven times, then I will avenge 77 times. But here's the problem. With Cain... The reference to seven times was God protecting Cain seven times over what he deserved. But Lamech, for him, it is a reference to his vengeance and hatred that is 77 times over. What we see in Cain is a picture of God's grace in the face of sin. And what we see with Lamech is, is a refusal to extend grace because he himself has not known grace. And I think the people listening to Jesus that day say 77 times, if they were really paying attention, they would not only have recalled Lamech and his 77 times, but they would have recalled the story of Cain and God's mercy being extended in the middle of the darkest failure of Cain's life. So as we dissect what Jesus is saying, we've got to recognize that what he says to Peter is not only a call to forgiveness, forgiving each other, but a call to living in the forgiveness of God in our own lives. Before we had kids, we had some friends who had kids, and so I would love to hear the stories. You know, they always had these really funny stories. And so our friend Lori, uh, they had a daughter named Riley, and this happened when she was about three. And um, Lori had just had one of those bad days where, you know, you're just, you're, you're not being nice. She knew that she was frustrated about something else and was kind of taking, uh, taking it out on her daughter the way she was acting toward her. And so we get to the end of the night, and she's tucking Riley in. And, and she realizes, like, you know, she needs to ask Riley's forgiveness. And so she says, Riley, you know, Mommy realizes that she, you know, did this, this, and this with it. And, and I want to ask if you'll forgive me. And Riley takes a big breath, and she says, I forgive you, Mommy. And then kind of wanting it to be like a teachable moment, Lori says, and you know, I also need to ask Jesus to forgive me. I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive me. And Riley looked at her and said, he said no. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you this morning that when it comes to grace, 
He never says no. Remember that song from earlier, the whole sentiment of the song is you have gone too far. It is too late to apologize. And while, unfortunately, that is often true in our world, it is not true with God. I want to ask you, what is your personal relationship with God's grace and forgiveness? Have you acknowledged your own need to be forgiven? Have you accepted the grace that God has for you? Remember earlier in Romans where we read that sin ruled and brought death, but grace rules in the lives of those who are right with God. In other words, our sin, it leads to death. When we live out unforgiven lives, we repeat the cycle again and again that does damage and destruction in our lives. And the inevitable end of that is death. But when we receive Jesus and the free grace that he offers, we live in forgiveness. We live new life. See, grace is not only what enables us to forgive other people, it's also the answer to our own forgiveness. And some of you have maybe not yet received that grace. You maybe haven't gone inside that door yet, and maybe there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe you feel like you don't deserve it. Maybe Maybe you think that there's more you need to do before you can go inside. But the, the whole point of grace is that Jesus already opened the door for you. And he invites you in. And all you have to do is go in. God's doing the work. And our work is to believe and to step inside. And if you're someone who has not yet received God's grace, I want to ask you, what's holding you back? Maybe today is the day that you believe that that door is open for you. For many of us, though, we do have a marked moment in our life where we received that grace. And my question for you this morning, if that's you, is are you living in the ongoing grace that really leads to forgiveness and living our new life? Is grace, in other words, fueling the way that you live? What you think about, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you maybe set aside your own preferences for the good of someone else. I'll tell you, if there is any chance of us having grace with other people, it's got to come from the grace that we have received. And it's not only that grace from the beginning that's all at once. It's not only the grace that starts that relationship with God. It is an ongoing relationship with grace. I'm not saying that that grace at the beginning was not enough. It is. I'm just saying there's more where that came from. You know, I think sometimes we think of grace as like this big eraser that just makes all of our failures disappear. But grace is our fuel. Grace is what energizes us every day to live in that new life that grace allows. It's what empowers us. And it's grace like that that allows us to, to walk into the door of our own ongoing forgiveness. Listen to this next part in the Romans passage that we've been looking at. It said, grace rules in the lives of those who are right with God. And then he goes on, what should we say then? Should we keep on sinning so that God's grace can increase? Not at all. As far as sin is concerned, we are dead. So how can we keep on sinning? Maybe some of you listening today have, have minimized 
how important your ongoing confession and forgiveness is with God. But here's what you got to know. If identifying our own sin and experiencing God's forgiveness isn't a regular part of our life with God, it won't be a regular part of our life with other people either. And we don't stand a chance of applying what Jesus said about forgiveness as much as Lamech 77. As we close our time together, I want to just look at one last little verse in that Romans passage that we've been in because it offers us a way to live out grace in a really tangible way. In Romans 6, verse 4, it says this, By being baptized, we were buried with Christ into his death. Christ has been raised from the dead by the Father's glory. And like Christ, we can also live a new life. See, baptism is a physical representation of how grace is alive in us. When you're baptized, you literally get laid down in the water, representing being dead to sin, representing Jesus' death, and then you get raised back out, raised to new life, just like Jesus. And if you are someone who has received grace, but maybe you have not yet been baptized, can I ask you to consider it? If you are someone who wants to find out a little bit more about that, we actually have a kiosk out front, a baptism kiosk, and there'll be somebody there to talk with you and just process this with you. We're going to be having some baptisms in May, and I want you to think about, might this be an important next step for you as you apply God's grace that you already have in your life? Well, we have talked about a few different kinds of grace this morning, we've talked about the grace to forgive. What does it mean for us to, out of the overflowing of our grace, to be able to offer forgiveness to somebody, to be able to live in the truth that it is not too late to apologize? Some of you today really need to explore. God's prompting you to, to, to explore what that means for you. Some of you might think about this second door, this grace to be forgiven. Are you someone who has said yes to the free grace that God offers, to be forgiven, to be washed clean, to walk through the door and live in God's eternal grace? Some of you might feel prompted that that is how God has for you today to receive grace. And then we talked about the grace to be fueled this ongoing daily grace that literally empowers us to live the new life that we've been talking about, that empowers us to walk toward resurrection in our relationships, in the way we think about ourselves, in the way we view the world, instead of walking toward death. We're gonna close with a worship song that we sang at the beginning. And, and while we do that, I wanna ask you to, to think about these doors which implication of grace might you want to respond to today? After the service, we're gonna have some pastors and elders down front. And, and I just wanna invite you, if you want us to pray with you, if you want us to pray for you, if you wanna talk to us about what, what you're honing in on here today, we are gonna be here for you. And this song that we sing is gonna celebrate the joy that grace brings, the joy of those who are forgiven, who have walked through the door to what God offers. 
So as we do that, I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna pray for us. And I just wanna encourage you to stay in, stay in what God's doing in you right now. Let's pray together. Father, you, you always amaze us with your generosity. God, some people here might feel like Cain who has done something that seems so unforgivable. Unforgivable. I ask that your voice of grace and forgiveness would be so loud. God, others I know are holding on to something that they cannot even imagine forgiving. But God, if we believe that your grace is real and true and limitless, God, I ask that that would be true in this situation. God, some are maybe just feeling like grace is removed from them. They, they know it is part of their life, but it doesn't seem accessible. And I just ask that for those people today, that you would give a fresh, a fresh anointing of the grace that will fuel them to live life as you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, sing this with me. We're the beggars. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Come on, sing it out. We were the beggars. Now we're Enjoy an awesome day. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Amen. Goodbye.